Welcome to Healthcare IT Today. I'm John Lynn, together with my colleague and friend, Colin Hung. The world of technology and healthcare are ever-changing in new and novel ways, and that's why we love this stuff. So join us as we discuss the latest healthcare and health IT news, meshed together in new ways which help generate ideas and new perspectives. Plus, we'll have a little fun along the way. Today, we'll be talking about what we've been seeing and hearing at the 2023 Fall Health IT conferences that we've been attending, and whether you should be having FOMO. <laughs> and be sure to follow the show on social media at the hashtag HITSM and our personal accounts at TechGuy and at Colin underscore Hung. Plus, check out our 17 years of health IT blog content at healthcareittoday.com. Are there any conferences you had FOMO? Because we can't be everywhere and conferences overlap. So <laughs> is there one you wish you'd been to but couldn't? Uh, well, I think there's one coming up I wish I was going to, but I can't. And that's, of course, Chime. I'm not going to be able to go to right. Chime. And I was totally having FOMO because I didn't get a chance to go to health. Uh, I was uh, instead I was over at Ahima, which also was a great conference. But just seeing some of the, the the posts and pictures from all the friends at Health can't help but having some FOMO, especially when you guys were having dinner. It's funny because I was having mutual FOMO because I love Ahima. The people at Ahima are so down to earth and raw, and I love that about it. So as we had, as you know, usually we, it's our, our running joke. We share pictures of us to create FOMO for the other. But I think that week we both just created FOMO for both of us. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. I really, I gotta say, I really did enjoy being at Ahima in Baltimore. It was a fantastic conference. But yes, I mean, just by volume of tweeters and people who post on social media, there were a lot more down at health. And so I had more pictures to choose from to get FOMO on. I <laughs> see all the pictures of all of you down in Vegas. But that is fair. They're a little more social. But you know, I have to say, Colin, you were the MC of Ahima, the start of your new speaking career. So if people are looking for <laughs> keynote speakers, MCs for their event, Colin is open and welcome. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you for saying that. I re- that was a lot of fun being up on that stage. And what a rever- role reversal, right? Like usually we're the ones sitting in the in the in the front there taking pictures of people on the stage it was a bit weird being up on on the stage uh giving the the opening and welcoming everyone but it was a lot of fun and thank you to the hema folks for allowing me to to do that but john let let's uh, let's get right down to it what has been the discussions around ai uh this fall and has that been any different than the discussion around ai maybe earlier in the year yeah i mean i think that I would say it's shifted like maybe one notch forward when it comes to practicality. You know, when you look at PIMS and Vive in the spring or any other conferences, then it was like, oh crap, these large language models are going to change a lot of stuff, right? <laughs> and there was like kind of conjecture around this is what we're thinking about doing. And this is what how we're going to look at it, approaching it. And now at the fall conferences, it's more like, hey, you want to see a demo? Check it out, right? So I think maybe that's like, it's one notch forward. Now, many of them have been coming out and saying, hey, let's check a demo, but we haven't done full release of it. You know, one that comes to mind is uh, Walters Kluwer Health. They have this AI lab solution with their up-to-date software that, you know, they, they're they like, we're going to do this in the safest way possible because we want to make sure that it's done effectively because patients' lives matter to us and getting the inf- right information to the doctor, not hallucinations, not other stuff is important. So they did the limited kind of 
AI Labs releases, as I think they're calling it, uh, you know, which was an interesting way. But the fact that you could try it and use natural language to access the wealth of up-to-date data that most doctors use, that was a nice step forward. Yeah, I have to agree with you. I think what changed for me, the, you know, the discussion around AI in the fall, which is different than the spring, is in the fall, it's much more practical than it was in the spring. I think in spring, we were still talking about, and con, and you, as you just said, conjecturing what uh, an AI application of a large language model might look like in healthcare. And I won't say that we were all over the place, but we kind of felt like that. You could do it here, you could do it here. And there were some prototypes and things, but nothing really solid. This fall, I've been seeing some very solid applications of large language models and generative AI and just, I'll call it old-fashioned AI, machine learning type AI, uh, into the various products, um, especially EHRs. They've done some really good jobs around you know, building summaries of, of the medical record, uh, using AI to help with workflow issues, those kinds of things, much more practical than we were in the spring. And, and I think that's very encouraging, right? So we've moved away definitely from like using AI for diagnosis. <laughs> I, I don't think anybody was, I, I, didn't, I didn't see a single demo of that, but more nipping at the edges, right? Around the the administrative stuff, the workflow issues. Uh, I'm, I'm actually very excited by the direction that we're heading in uh, now in the fall. Yeah, and I think Ambulant Clinical Voice, which we've talked about probably too much on this, <laughs> was, was in full force. You know, Nabla came all the way over from France to do it, right? And NextGen announced their AI solution. We already talked about Oracle Health's AI solution. You know, every HR vendor saying, how am I going to approach this? Of course, Nuance came out with Copilot and had demos of that available and you know, I could go on and on ambience and, <laughs> you know, there's so many of them and that competition there is moved beyond just talk to like real applications. Suki just announced their inpatient ambient clinical voice solution, which is a kind of a first one because everyone started with ambulatory. Well, like, okay, well, how does that work for a nurse in the inpatient setting or for an ED you know, so I think we're seeing a lot of movement that way from from those companies that are doing it. I think the other one that's really interesting is the customer service AI bots, if you will, right? So, you know, we talked a little bit about this on last episode, but how many people are using AI to either connect with the patients, you know, on the website in some sort of RPM program, or even to look at the call logs from the call centers at these healthcare organizations to understand sentiment, to understand <laughs> what's happening. We're even seeing it with the vitals uh, on video uh, with your friend Neurologics up there in Canada, your neighbors. Uh, so, you know, I, I think that was really interesting to see them applying the data in real time there. I don't know if that's quite AI, uh, although there, there's certainly some vision and <laughs> things going on there as well. No, you're right. I mean, I, in my mind, when you when you say those things, you know, it goes to what Orbita has done, right, with the search and things on people's websites and combining that with AI to help guide uh, the patients to the right uh, specialty that, that they may be looking for, rather than have them navigate through the the various trees on the website. We we have also seen you and I have both been to eClinical Works a few times and seen how they're applying AI and how they're you know help. One of the biggest applause that we got at the eClinical Works uh, user conference that I went to was. The application of AI to the inbound fax queue, right? And being able to interpret that unstructured data and go, oh, this is the patient that it's meant for and automatically doing that match. Doesn't sound like a, a lot, but boy, that got almost a standing ovation from the crowd because it was going to save them so much time. 
So I'm encouraged by these sort of, I won't call small because that may be doing a disservice to AI, but these sort of very, very specific applications of AI, which again, wasn't really what I was getting in the spring. So definitely there's been a different tone, a different flavor of AI conversations this fall in, in the conferences. You know, I was talking to a CMIO this week and uh, he said, John, it's just a weird world I'm living in. He said, I'll go from one meeting where it's like, how do we get the doctors to log in? And then the next meeting is this, how do I analyze the AI across 15 dimensions to understand the influence of the behavior of patients and with specific cardio <laughs> needs? He's like, he's like this world of like advanced technology and yet can we just get them to log in to actually use the system? Like he's like, it's a tough world. <laughs> <laughs> Well, on that note, John, like when you were talking to people, as you were encountering people in, in conferences, was there a technology that that people were excited about? Um, for example, was there anything that was going to help a doc with the logging in? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there are. Go check out Improvada. They do some nice single sign-on stuff. I think you know that's interesting. I heard one person talking about this. how do they get rid of logins and how can they just keep it continuously logged in. But, uh, you know, I, I think, you know, obviously the AI we've already discussed, so we'll, we'll kind of table that for this portion. But a couple that stood out to me is kind of the security ones and, uh, you know, and around backups like pure storage and their ability to backup things uh, in case there's a ransomware incident and to be able to recover quickly from the backup. Uh, you know, that's a really interesting area. Valtry is doing some interesting things. It's a, a newer company to healthcare, uh, you know, as far as securing your data and being able to do that in a secure way. I, I think that's really interesting. So, you know, that was fun to talk about. Uh, you know, on the interoperability one, you could talk about a, a zillion different companies here, it seems like. Uh, but, you know, one announcement that was quite interesting to me was a fire announcement. Uh, you know, you may have read my article, SAS did one with a fire thing, but Darina Solutions has the Meld RX. So, uh, you know, the, the Meld RX solution is essentially a fire based solution to help you share that data. So, you know, I think the use of fire and the ability to connect people was kind of interesting. Those are a couple that kind of stood out. Yeah, I, I think for me, yeah, just looking at what was happening in the fall conferences, this might be skewed because of the type of conferences I was been going to, but I would say digital front door technologies uh, seems to be having a lot of people excited. Uh, I think given the revenue challenges uh, that hospitals are facing and, and clinics are facing, I mean, anything that they can do to get more patients through the door, to attract more patients, uh, to serve the patients that they already have. I think are is really exciting for them. I was see, seeing a lot of people, uh, you know, talking to vendors around, you know, online scheduling and and very simple things like even more personalized with AI, of course, but personalization of messages that go out to individuals. Um, again, going back to something that eClinical Works was uh, debuting, they're debuting a no-show AI that can predict who within your practice might actually not show up. And therefore, you can add more interventions to just that population, right? So rather than sending a blanket, always you know text people on this day, this person, they were able to narrow that down to say, oh, these are the people most likely not to show. Therefore, uh, you know, go ahead and, and make sure that you do some uh, other interventions. So anything around digital front door, I think, was really um, getting people excited, whether that was, you know, 
uh, a lot of people talking to Karenet, a lot of people talking to Kairos, a lot of people talking to, you know, Relation, all these companies, they're all having and introducing more and more modules designed around personalizing that digital front door. Yeah, you know, I talked to Yossi Health at the Oracle Cerner, Oracle Health uh, uh, event. Uh, sorry, I shouldn't say Cerner anymore. I get five slaps for that. <laughs> no, the Oracle Health event, Yossi talked about it. And what was interesting there with their online self-scheduling stuff was how sophisticated they'd gotten with how they essentially risk stratify, you know, how long do they need for the appointment? It's not quite a risk, I guess, but how do they stratify different patients to know, should it be a 15 minute appointment? Should it be a 30? And it, it takes a nice, essentially chat bot to be able to do that, to do it effectively so that then the providers trust them to do it. And obviously then they save their call centers, which they can't staff because of staffing shortages. So I think that's, you know, a really interesting area. I'll throw one other out there though, and I think that has to do with external data. And I think we're just getting started with that. And some of some companies don't want to talk about it. Like there's all these consortiums of health systems coming together. They're kind of staying on the down low, I think, right now, because they're not sure that that you know, looks good to their image. But then there's other ones that everyone knows about, like LexisNexis, that has all of this data. You know, SDOH data has been a hot topic that a lot of people are talking about. And getting access to that data with, you know, LexisNexis, Komodo Health is another one. I think that one's going to be interesting because, you know, they have life science uh, customers and health system customers. And I'm afraid for health systems that unfortunately the life sciences is driving the price of that data up, that it makes it not as accessible for a health system. So it's a tough situation if you're, you know, the data provider to say, hey, pharma, you're going to pay this. And hey, health systems, you're going to pay this. Uh, But, you know, that's something, you know, that people are interested in is how do I get access to this data and, and be able to be able to do some cool stuff with it. I, I lied. One more. Identity was interesting. Uh, Clear, you know, is making a big play in healthcare. They announced a partnership with Verado, but th- there's a lot of identity management companies out there. Formedica is doing work, uh, you know. So I think identity is a problem, uh, and there's a lot of companies working on it. Uh, I'll just add one more before we go on to the next topic, John. Uh, the technology I was most excited for was definitely the massage chairs that are available in the various conference areas because, boy, <laughs> having walked around some of these exhibit halls and all of these sessions all day, I could definitely use that technology. <laughs> hey, if you're just tuning in, you're listening to Healthcare IT Today with John Lin and Colin Hung. Today, we're discussing what we've been seeing and hearing at the 2023 fall conferences in health IT and the ones that we've been attending anyways. Uh, And we're having a little bit of fun to say, should you have FOMO? And we'll get to that question in just a bit. But first, (laughs) John, has there been a a challenge uh, that you feel has been on the minds of attendees this fall, like in the hallway conversations, just judging by some of the sessions, titles, and things like that. Is there is there some challenges that are really bubbled to the top this fall that maybe weren't there in the spring? I think they might have been there in the spring, but uh, it's definitely still such an important topic, such a challenging one that I hear over and over, which is just the cost of healthcare in general. And and how do they deal with that? And you know, everyone likes to say it's unsustainable, and I think I've said before, well, what's going to stop it? And I think that is the problem. And you know, I heard someone say it this way. They said, you have to remember that one person's cost is another person's profits. 
And yeah, like that, that, that kind of positions the problem, right? Which is how do you reduce the cost, you know, because that means you're going to cut somebody's profits out. And so, or, you know, or their business, if it's a health system, right? So it's an interesting discussion that everyone comes to, you know, and, the, and I don't think there's one solution. There's not like some magic tech company that could come in and say, I'm going to spend a bunch of money and lower the cost. Like, there's no magic elixir that's going to lower the cost of healthcare. Uh, you know, there's a lot of companies doing really interesting things that are lowering the cost for individual organizations and things, but that there is this like hanging over our head, like, wow, this costs way too much. And, and you hear it in almost every discussion that you have because they see that it's a problem. Yeah, I think I, I would agree with you. I think the the challenge that um, it's related to what you just said that I've been hearing a, a lot about is the challenge of doing more with less, uh, partly because they're trying to lower costs, but also because they can't just hire people anymore. They can't find them, whether that's a coder, uh, whether that's someone in the billing department, whether that's a front desk person. I mean, they're just, I think people are just finally resigning themselves to the fact they may never get somebody back. Uh, or they may never have four people at the front anymore. It's just going to be two. And so that what that's doing is it's actually uh, forcing them to look at technologies to augment those two people. So, you know, I'm going to have two. Looks like I'm only going to have two for the next little while. So what can I do to alleviate the workload? Let me think about, you know, tools, again, like with AI in them. Or just, hey, some automation. Forget about AI. Just some automation that I can do with. And so I've, I'm I'm hearing a lot more conversations around that where, it's no longer a conversation of where do I find nurses? Where do I find those? I mean, sure, that's still a challenge, but it's more of, okay, I know I'm going to be short. What can I do to make sure that the ones I do have are, you know, I have reduced the burden on them as much as I can. So that for me is a challenge that was definitely on the minds of people in the fall that wasn't there in the spring. Yeah. One promising development that I saw was more voices of the patient. And that was coming from the vendors there, I think on stage, it was actually still somewhat disappointing, <laughs> to be fair. But from the vendors themselves, you can tell that they are talking to patients more and they're reframing what they're doing. And maybe it's because of this shift to kind of the, the more proactive patient that wants a more consumer-like experience. And so maybe that's forced them to say, hey, wait a minute. Yeah, the patient is our customer and satisfying the patient really does matter, you know, because it's impacting the the provider organizations. And so, I, I, I don't, you know, there's still a long way to go with this, I think, you know, when it comes to listening to the patients. But I'm hearing more and more examples where they are taking some time to do that or have a patient advisory board that helps them to do it. Now, if you're hearing it from some health systems, uh, I heard an example from a, a CMIO as well that was talking about, hey, I took the challenge, you know, that the doctors, you know, I was talking to the doctors about and they didn't want to do it. I took it to my patient advisory board and then the patients gave me the verbiage I needed to be able to take it to the doctors. And that's a powerful story to hear that because it's true, you know, when you're the CMIO trying to implement some system, you know, maybe it's open notes or whatever you're doing, right? And the doctors say, we could never do that. Well, when you hear the voice of the patient, it does reframe the discussion. And so I've seen more of that, you know, I mean, I, like I said, there's still a ways to go, but, you know, and, and that was seen at, at the health conference uh, with Savvy Co-op hosting the Ask Patients. I think they said they had a hundred discussions or something like that with patients, which, you know, still not enough, but that's pretty impressive for a couple of days. 
Yeah, it's encouraging to hear for sure. And it's obviously leading to my FOMO over having over not being at that conference. But for me, John, one of the things that became more pronounced in the fall that was a little bit there in the spring, but it was just more, I'll call it rumor, was the challenge of vendor consolidation. Uh, this was both from the vendor side as well as from the health system side. Uh, it was very pronounced in the fall, where you know I had some uh, folks from the uh, in, from inside the the healthcare organization going, "Yeah, you know what? We need to reduce the number of vendors we're dealing with." So one of my challenges is, how do I pick between two systems that have been with us for two solutions that have been with us for a while, each very valuable, but I got to pick one because I just I can't be managing two relationships, and I don't get economies of scale. Right? I'm paying twice, you know. I could be paying 1.5x. I'm paying 2x right now because I got two different vendors, right? And so to me, that was very real. And that was a challenge where on the provider side, they're looking for how do I do this? How do I get, you know, how do I pick and choose the horse I'm going to ride into the next four years? And then from the vendor side, how do I make sure that I'm going to be the one that makes it? How do I make sure that I'm going to be the incumbent? Uh, And so that seemed to be a challenge that was much more acutely on the minds of people in the fall. Yeah, I mean, uh, at our Sway Health event in Toronto, we heard the CIO saying, hey, I'm trying to reduce vendors. Like, you you want to propose a new solution, and my goal is to reduce. And there is this kind of cognitive disconnect, and it's a challenge for a CIO. How do I embrace new innovations, but how do I also, you know, manage existing vendors and reduce the number of vendors so that my overhead of managing vendors isn't too much? Exactly right. Exactly right. And we saw, I saw that definitely at the recent MGMA and the HEMA conferences for sure. But let's get to the title question, John. So should people have fall conference FOMO? Well, uh, you know, it seems like a lot of people are at the conference. <laughs> so maybe they're not having FOMO because they're there. And I would say that, uh, you know, we have seen an interesting thing where more people are attending the user conferences and and that's been where a lot of people even vendors are finding a ton of value so you know i actually see people loving the user conferences and the fomo if they didn't go there would be would be real um you know there's an interesting discussion that's happening which is uh you know how much of the conference is actually for work versus how much of it is kind of a you know a little wink nod nod you know have a little break from your work you've worked hard kind of a reward for working hard. I don't think that's how most people treat it, uh, you know, when I meet them at a conference. But it is interesting that some people see it that way. And and maybe there are some that do that. But, uh, you know, I, I think that's the interesting part that we've seen kind of in this evolution of conferences is the bigger ones are getting bigger. The user conferences are doing well. But then, uh, you know, on that same side, we are seeing some very small targeted events as well crop up so you know that's kind of the evolution the good news is that if you have conference fomo just wait a couple days there will be another one (laughs) (laughs) that's so very true um i would say a couple of things john i think uh first of all i think the exhibit halls at most conferences have um either improved or stabilized I didn't see any exhibit halls uh, in this fall that were smaller than they were in prior years, which I think is a good sign. And in fact, I, I found uh, a couple, uh, MGMA just coming to mind most recently, where actually it was more lively than in past years, uh, much more activity, more energy. So I think that's a good that's a good sign. So it, you can interpret that as a little bit of FOMO. If you weren't there, you may have missed out on it. Um, but still, it's subdued. It's still not to the level of pre-pandemic, right? But we're getting a lot closer, which I, I do find encouraging. Um, 
the the one thing I do find that people are getting tremendous FOMO over was actually the sessions. <laughs> so it goes back to what we, we've been talking about for a while. It, you know, the education that's available at these conferences, people really want that. And it's not just for the, you know, the CE credits, right? Or, you know, not it's not just for that. It's because the information being shared is so valuable, right? I was talking to a lot of the organizers of Ahima and of MGMA, and they're just like, man, the demand that people have for, hey, are you going to record this? Because I would pay for the recording of that because I can't go for a variety of budget reasons. But boy, I really want to know what was shared in that room in this session. Definitely session FOMO for me this fall was a lot higher than it's been in a while. And again, I think that's just a testament to the great content that these organizers are really putting on. You're, you're just mad that you didn't get to see Joe Jonas on stage at help, huh? That, that's what you're really saying. I, I know you're a big uh, Jonas Brothers fan. <laughs> oh, maybe not. But uh, <laughs> no, he was on stage and it was packed, standing room only, which is fascinating to think about. Uh, Chelsea Clinton was there, although her, she, I heard, you know, rumor on the street was she was disappointed. I didn't see her myself. She was kind of just shilling her companies, which is no surprise. But, uh, you know, I think it is interesting that you say that because I've heard the biggest FOMO is really around what happens after hours. And mm. I'm not talking about going and partying and getting drunk, but it's the conversations that happen when you are in that kind of more, you know, collegial, fun atmosphere where you, you finally say, man, I'm suffering from this. And they're like, oh, okay, I, I am too. That's what I, I called this company, right? Like, and so it's, I think it's those opportunities to connect on those more casual, private discussions, if you will, that, that happen. And sure, they happen over lunch as well. You know, so I like all of those types of kind of one-to-one interactions, whether it's vendor to vendor, whether it's provider to provider or provider to vendor, you know, like all, all of those kind of intimate conversations is what I think people miss the most when they don't aren't able to make it there. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I spoke to a lot of vendors like that and, you know, they're, they're certainly are back and the ones that are there are just saying, you know, they have been back since the pandemic, but they now are really super appreciative of that one-to-one FaceTime with their customers and their prospects. They all have FOMO when they're not able to do that. And when they see uh, other people doing that, maybe after hours and so forth. So I totally agree with you. That's definitely the FOMO I've been seeing. So you know, again, for me, the fall conference this uh, this season has really shown to me that we are on the road to be back. And I think there was some doubt after the pandemic: Are we really ever going to get back to the you know where we were before? And I got to admit, I was kind of doubting that. But given what's happened this fall, I would say we're on the road to being there. It's only a matter of time till we get back there. It's a little bit of a down right now because of the budget problems that a lot of people are suffering where they can't actually go. But there's, there seems to be that demand still, that pent-up uh, demand to come back for the education, for all the things that we just talked about. I definitely am very encouraged for 2024. Yeah, and, and two quick things. One, to, to your point, I heard a vendor say that, hey, we're, we're not allowed to fly to their organization anymore because they're like, let's just hop on Zoom. And so now they don't get the FaceTime even for the sales call. And so they're like, 
the conferences are great because they finally do get that face time. Like if they were to just fly out there and show up, most of these uh, provider organizations would be like, wait, why'd you do that? Why are you wasting? You know, like, and so yeah, it was interesting. These conferences are the only place they often get FaceTime other than Zoom. So I thought that was an interesting thing. But, you know, when it comes to, you know, it coming fully back, uh, you know, the reality is we want to be together as people. <laughs> <laughs> You're so right about that, John. Hey, and on that note, that we're at the end of another episode. Thanks to all of you who tuned in to this episode of Healthcare IT Today. You can find out more details about our show by checking out the programs page on healthcarenowradio.com. And please share your voice and engage with the community at healthcareittoday.com and on social media using the hashtag HITSM. I'm Colin Hung, along with my friend and health IT collaborator, John Lin. Thanks for listening and have a great week.